Okay, hi everybody. Hi. Um, I always love getting to come and talk with you guys. And um, it always feels like family. So I'm so grateful to be a part of this family that is just very honest and real and mine. <laughs> so thank you. Um, I'm going to pray and then I'll give some overview about what's going to happen. And then we'll get into it, okay? Um, Jesus, Michael already just talked to you. So I agree with what Michael already said. Um, I yield to your boldness. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will say things that I've never said to the people that you love. And I pray you do that for them today. And I pray this will be transformative for them and for me and for your kingdom from now until eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to give you guys some um, framework for how to think about the next three sermons, this one and two after that. And I want to give you some ways to think about how we're thinking about worship. First thing I want to say is this, all the things that we're going to talk about, um, they are going to be rooted in scripture to the degree that we have discovered, but there are limits to what we know. So we are learning. As Joel said, you guys are following us. We are learning and following Jesus. So we're going to give you what you got, but there is still what we have, but there's still so much more that Jesus can show you in your journey with worship and with him for the rest of your life. So this is just a snippet of what he can give to you. Secondly, all the things that we're going to talk about um, in this series are descriptive and not prescriptive. It means they describe things, but they're not a prescription. I'm not telling you what to do. We're not your mama. You guys get to decide what you do in worship. If you worship, if you put your hands down, if you don't, we, we, we care, but we don't. You know, it's both. So um, we're going to give you some of the things that we've experienced with Jesus. We're going to give you some of the things that the Bible says, but you have to hear the Holy Spirit for yourself. You have to hear where he's leading you into. And the good thing is he wants to talk to you. He's not avoiding you. So um, he can. So that's our heart for that. All right. So I thought as I was preparing this sermon, um, I thought originally I was going to do some like really deep theological work and talk to you about the temple and like what the people did and all the different sacrifices and all that. And I realized first, I don't know all that stuff. So it would be really hard for me to talk to you about all that. Secondly, um, I, I thought it would be irreverent for me to start talking about worship as if we were the people that initiated this. Like as if worship first started from us to God. But that's not the case. That's not what we see in scripture. And I think that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about here. And if you want to switch the side is the next one or the first one. Um, worship happens because God loved you first. It didn't start with you. It started with him towards you. He pursued you first. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. But here are some scriptures that are going to, you know, say some things. Um, in Ephesians 1, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That was before he separated the heavens and the water. That was before we got stars and all that stuff. It says that he loved you then and he chose you then. And if you hear how he talks about um, creation in Genesis 1, he's like, let us make man in our image. 
Like he, he wanted you to bear his face and his name. Like he wanted you first. Here are some other scriptures that are some of my favorites um, that let you know that he chose you first. I wrote on a paper that's like horizontal. So now I don't know how to, I don't know how to look at it. I'll figure it out. So one of them that I um, didn't put on there because it would be too many scriptures for the screen. Um, is this one that's, that's one of my favorites. It's Zephaniah 317. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will exalt, he will exalt over you with loud singing. Did you know that the Lord sings over you? When we're singing on Sunday, he is singing too about us, except for his song came first. There are many, many more that show the Lord's doting love over us. And it's important for us to know that because if we don't know that he came first, then we'll enter into a works kind of mentality, like trying to worship enough to get him to choose us. But if he already picked you, then that's his business. Like, what can you do to make him unpick you? Nothing. So you get to enjoy the fruits of the fact that he chose you first. And you worship from that perspective, knowing that he went before you did. Amen? Yeah. There are many more. There's another one that says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. In Isaiah, he says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you and I've summoned you by name. You are mine. Okay, so you probably get it by now. You were chosen. It's good to hear it this many times so you can believe when your soul tells you you haven't been chosen. You can say, well, she read like five scriptures that said I was, so you can be quiet. All right, so after we recognize that Jesus pursued us first, oh, this one is the most important. Not only did he pursue us first, um, but he broke down every barrier on his side that would keep us from being able to say yes to his pursuit. And the biggest demonstration of this barrier that he broke down is a scripture in Romans, I think it's Romans 5, 8. It says, um, it says that he, oh, I have a Bible. <laughs> Let me look it up. Romans 5, 8. If you got a Bible, you can look it up too. And we'll just look at it together. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not only did he love you and make you, but your sin created a barrier between you and him, and the righteous law allowed you to be separated from him. But he died so that you could be close to him again. That was the ultimate display of his pursuit for you. Not only do I love you and sing about you, but I also broke down all the barriers on my part. So on my side, I'm clear. Now we're going to talk about your side, okay? And this is some of the more practical things I want to talk to you guys about. So let's go to the next point. All right. This one says, worship is our response to God's invitation, his love invitation to us. When I was thinking through this, um, I heard a teaching one time 
by Travis Green and KJ Scriven. They came to my college and they spoke about worship. And I took all the notes because I just love them. I think they're great. So I just have all kind of notes from them. And KJ Scriven was saying, worship is like to declare the worth of. Like if you think about like worth-ship, we are declaring the worth of, right? So a lot of you guys know that I moved to Aliquippa recently, haven't been here that long, but I feel like I'm getting my feet, you know, in, in the water. I feel like I'm getting some bearings about myself. And so the other day, a really dear friend of mine um, dropped off some Mac donuts, Mac's donuts on my porch. Do you, who likes Mac's? Okay, who likes Orem's? Ooh, we divided, <laughs> but we're united, but we divided. Okay, so um, she asked me, she said, what is your favorite donut? We, we, I, I don't really care about that in Georgia. Like, we got Krispy Kreme, you go when the hot light is on, when it's not, you move on. Like, it's just glazed. We don't care. People here have favorites. Some of you guys like those crispy croissant ones or the ones that swirl, you know? I went, um, I had another friend, a dear friend, who took me to Orem's because I told her that I had never had it. So she took me there and she got me one of those face-sized cinnamon rolls. They're massive. They're like insane. And they were so good. And I was like, oh man. And so then I, I found out from living here that there's a debate between Max Donuts and Orem's Donuts. And I think there's a third shop, but nobody brings up that shop. It's like, don't talk about that one. It, so you see, if you know, then you know. I don't even know the name of it because I'm not supposed to talk about it. So I don't talk about it. Um, so there's Max and there's Orem's. You can, you know, school me on my, my Alicupa knowledge after this. I could be wrong. Um, and so there's a debate between Max and Orem's and people kind of choose sides and like there's some, some blood involved. And I don't know what to choose because that face size cinnamon roll was phenomenal. Phenomenal. But then these, the crispy croissant things that are in a triangle, I keep making it with my hands, they're in a triangle from um, Max, they're so good. And so I don't, I don't know what to do. I can't choose between, I'm not gonna, not, not yet, I'm not gonna choose between the two, but those two are my favorite right now. And so for me, this is the way I'm gonna declare the worth of Max and Orem. I'm just gonna tell you that I like them both equally with no favorites, you know? And for a donut, that's appropriate. Like, this is about as good as you can declare the worth of a donut. You can tell a whole church that both are good. That's pretty much as good as it's gonna get, you know? And there are other things that are more worthy that you would do more to declare the worth of. Like, for example, my, uh, both my dad, my stepdad, and my mom, and my grandpa, and my uncle all served in the military. I definitely am a military kid, for sure. Um, they all served for um, different time periods overseas. Um, some of them fought in war. Some of them did other things. I don't really know how the military goes like that, but I know they did a lot of stuff. And so for people who've served, there might be a different kind of honor that you give them. You might esteem them more worthy than the donuts. So you might, you know, make a memorial to them to honor some of the, um, the ways that they fought, some of the ways that they've served, some of the ways um, that they have lived their lives. You might make a memorial for them. And those are people on earth. And I love our servicemen. I'm so grateful for our servicemen and women. I, my parents are servicemen and women. I'm grateful. And so many have lost their lives for us here in this country. And I'm, while I think about that, while I'm grateful for them losing their lives to give me more freedom here, 
I still will meet the same fate that some of them did at the end of my life. I will still also die at some point. And so while I'm grateful for their sacrifice, they've just kind of prolonged my life here on earth until I too meet up with them. So there's a level of honor that is due to them. What kind of honor do you give the one that died for you, like a serviceman might, but then also took death away from you, made it so that you don't have to meet the same fate, paid for that part? How do you show the worth of that one? A memorial seems wonderful, but then it seems like small. It's beautiful, but it seems small compared to the one that not only died, but resurrected and then gave you his resurrection. How do you worship one like that? I wouldn't know if they didn't tell me because I, I don't have any bearing for that. I don't have any framework for that. How do I do that? Well, good thing they told us. So let's read what they told us. This is Paul talking to the um, Romans, because it's in Romans. And all of chapter 11, he's talking about the mercies that God has given them and how those have afforded the people in Rome the ability to come into the family of Christ. It's all about mercy before that. And then in chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper worship. To me, this makes so much sense. How would you honor someone who gave their life for you and gave life to you, but by giving your life to them in equal kind? So on a, on a practical, kingly level, that is the way we worship. But Jesus didn't just come to us as a king. He didn't just come to us and say, this was my sacrifice. You know, I would like for you to respond to what I said. He came to us like a groom. He came to us like the bridegroom. Some of you guys were at my wedding, and some of you guys have seen my wedding pictures. Um, I should have put them up there. I didn't. It'll be fine. Um, go look on my Facebook. But there was, a moment, there was a moment where I was coming down the aisle, and Devontae was just crying. He was just crying. He was gone. Just, oh, done. Done, done, done. And he's standing there like, come. He's standing there like this, come. You know Devontae is real expressive. So he's standing there like, come, come down. And nobody told me that you should smile when you're walking down the aisle. I didn't know that. Nobody said that. So I have no smiling walking down the aisle pictures because nobody said smile. I didn't know what to do. I never walked down the aisle before. They, you don't practice this. So I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sing the song. So all the pictures are me mouthing different words to the song, just all, all the way down the aisle. It's not, it's not that wonderful. Uh, it is because it's my wedding, but it's not because I wish I was smiling. You know, I smiled at the end. We'll just use those ones. <laughs> so... I thought about that as I was preparing this, and I thought about um, Jesus as this picture of this groom standing there inviting you to come down the aisle. He's inviting you to come to be with him, right? And the groom at my wedding, I don't know what y'all did for your weddings. Y'all have cookie tables. I didn't have that. Um, the groom at my wedding, um, which was Devante, he came... Um, he came first. He came down the aisle first. He stood there first before like all the music started and all the stuff. He's standing there first to receive me. 
I come later on after everybody has prepared everything, after the flower girl tried to do the flowers, then cried, then somebody had to come get her. After all that stuff happens, then I am ready to come down the aisle after everything has been prepared. And he is the first one standing there in that line of things that has been prepared for me as the bride to come down. That's Jesus, clearly. That's Jesus. He has prepared everything for us as we, as he gets us ready to come down the aisle to him, right? So he invites us to come down the aisle to him, and he comes to us. He doesn't say these exact words, but you'll get it. He comes to us, and he says, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you for eternity, not even until death do us part, because I, I took that out of the equation. I want to be with you for all of eternity to, I don't even know if there's an end, period. And he says to you, I did everything on my end to make this a covenant. I died, I covered it with my blood, I've done all of it. I want to give myself fully to you, withholding nothing. And then he says to us, what is your response? At a wedding, you would say, I do. That would be the vows that he made to you. You would say, I do. And then as his bride, you would say to you, I too choose to give myself fully to you as you have given yourself fully to me. That's what happens on a, on a wedding day at a, at a marriage. This is what Jesus is saying to you when he says, present your bodies to me as living sacrifices. It's saying, I've proposed to you and I've made it possible. Will you too give yourself to me fully? That is the position that we worship from. I am in a covenant relationship with the God of heaven. And he is giving himself fully to me. He's singing about me. So I'm singing about him. He ain't gonna out sing me. You know? <laughs> we're singing to each other. We're in a relationship together. That's, that's the covenant of worship. That also means me as the bride. I have to consider how I have made this covenant and what that means for my body. I've given myself fully to Jesus, who has given himself fully to me, which means I have covenant vows to uphold. I have said, I will worship you only. You will be my only Lord and every other God will be dethroned before you. I've said that to him when I said my vows, when I said, yes, I receive your salvation. That's what I said. So now how saying I will give myself wholly to you cannot come and give myself to other gods that ask for my attention in various ways. And they do. They don't like this covenant. Satan hates covenant. It's just not his favorite thing doesn't matter though because Jesus loves it and so as as you're in this covenant with with um with God sin and Satan are constantly asking for your attention give your body to me give your worship to me give your hands to me let me have all of your attention ignore the voice of the Lord he's not he's not talking to you don't believe his promises he doesn't actually love you in the ways that he says he's loved you he's withholding things from you that's what he told Eve as a snake, he told her that God was actually withholding things from her. Will he really make you wise? Do you, do you really think that he said that? No, no, no. He just doesn't want you to be like him. 
That is the voice of the enemy. And so we need to stay close in close covenant with our husband in order to deal with all of these other things. A really, really practical example, which I hope I can say at church, um, man, I, I always, uh, I love rap. A lot of you guys know that about me. I love rap in a whole bunch of different ways. I love music in general. And sometimes like in rap and hip hop culture, you will go out and do all these shows in these different places and it's all kind of people coming to the concerts. You got the groupies, you got the people who like have listened to every album and stood in line and waited for you. Like that's how music culture, and this is every music culture. This is folk, this is rock, this is everybody. You can insert your genre right there. So if you're an artist and you're in all these places, being with all these people, a lot of times the fans will ask things of you. Come and be with me. Come and be with me. And if you have a family at home, you need to be careful of that. Because in, in, in real life, you have these women, men coming to you saying all this stuff. The only way you're going to deal with that, I've seen um, some of my favorite rappers like Andy Minio and other places, they take their wives on the road with them. Just come with me. So when the people here... I don't need to deal with you, ma'am. You see my wife sitting in the front stage? You better take yourself over there. I don't have nothing to say to you. And that's the only way we're going to deal with this, is if we take him with us. You got to go everywhere with me, because the groupies are calling. They're calling, and I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to answer. Like, what do I do? 45 groupies. I don't know. What do I do? Sin, lust, shame, all this pride, envy, gossip. They're all here. I don't know. Come with me. You got to come. You got to come. And the good news is he was like, yeah, this is what I wanted anyways. Where are we going? I'm ready for the tour. Let's go. And as a matter of fact, I'm probably going to show up in power at your tour. So take me. Take me with you. I didn't expect to say any of this. This is the Lord. I thank him. I thank him for this intimacy. Woo. All right. So we are declaring the worth of not only a king, but of our husband, our maker, I was reading a Song of Solomon yesterday, and we were trying to write a song about Song of Solomon. It's going well so far, but we have no lyrics, no chorus, and no verse. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it will become a song at some point. <laughs> this is true. That's, that's okay. Anyways, um, so there's a part in chapter five where the bride is in her pajamas. You can read it. It's real. I'm going to paraphrase, but you can read it. Read it in the NLT. It might even say pajamas. Probably not. So the bride is in her pajamas, and it's nighttime, and the groom comes, and the groom knocks on the door, and she is like, I'm in my pajamas. How can I put my pajamas back on? Or I, I, took, I took my real clothes off. Like, how can I put those back on? I already did that. And I washed my feet. Like, I'm not getting my feet dirty again. I'm not coming out. So he knocks, and she doesn't answer the door. And he leaves, and then he, he, she sees his hand, like in a window or something, and she's like, okay, I actually do want to be with you. So then she gets up to go to the door, and she opens it, and he's not there anymore, and it's raining. So she runs outside, and she's like, where are you? Now she don't even care about her pajamas or her clothes. She's late now, but she don't care. So she's running out into the street to find her bride, her bridegroom. She's looking for him. And as she's searching for him, she finds the guards. And the guards beat her. They say, it says they beat her. They take her veil away from her. Um, she doesn't feel very much like a bride, but she continues to run. 
And as she's running around, um, she runs into all these women who are outside. And she says, hey, have you seen the one that my soul loves? If you see him, tell him that I'm looking for him and that I love him. And the women, they're so funny to me. I think they're funny. They were like, who is your husband that we should be looking for him? Who is he? He's not anybody special. And then she goes on for like 16 verses describing how great her husband is. She's like saying, if you read Song of Solomon, it's some, it's some weird cheesy type stuff, you know, like his hair is like blah, 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 and his, his arms, elbows, I don't know what she like. So she goes on for 16 verses describing this loved one of hers. And by the end, the women say, where is your husband that we may also seek him too? They're all like, we're about to go find him too. Where is he? Take us with you to him. And this is, the, this is leading into this last point that I want to make about worship. Worship builds family. It's such a sweet point. We are married to the king, but as we worship him, it creates a family that also wants to worship him. As she got done adoring him, which is worship, all the women were like, yes, where is he? Take, does he have a brother? Take us to him right now. We need to be with him. So worship builds family. Joel alluded to this earlier today when we were worshiping and Jake was singing, even in my deepest shame, you're never going to lose my gaze kind of thing. Some of us needed to receive that. I needed to receive that. Shame has been such an evil lover in my life. I don't even like it. It's not a lover. That's why I'm staying close to Jesus, because shame tried to get me. It's ugly. Um, so I needed that. I needed you guys to sing the song so I could receive it. And some of you guys are probably in that same place of needing to, to receive Jesus as the shame breaker in that moment. While some of you have been freed from shame and you have that to give. So you're singing the song and people are receiving and God is being glorified and using you. And we are coming closer because now I'm grateful that you helped me get free. And you excited because Jesus did some cool stuff through you, which is always like fun. So now we're closer together. Being in worship together builds family. I love this word koinonia. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I think I am. Um, koinonia means the fellowship of the spirit. It means, in, in a sense, that there is a unity that God creates amongst the body that's deeper than just friendship. It's like my spirit and your spirit are cool. Like, both my, my body and your body, my soul and your soul, but my spirit and your spirit know each other. And we worship God together. And when we worship, he creates that same kind of thing within the body. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17. God, I pray that you, they would be one. They, all of them, they would be one, just as you and I are one. He is looking for this unity. He's building this koinonia, this um, unity of the spirit through worship. So let me give you one of my favorite scriptures about this, and then I think I won't have anything else to say, but don't test me on that. I don't really know. Acts 16, 25 through 34. Let's read it together on your phones. I'll read, and then you can just look, and that will be sufficient. All right. So one thing Paul was really good at was um, getting thrown in jail. So <laughs> he's in jail right now, A-plus student. And um, at least he's not in jail by himself. Like, it's always good 
it's not good to be thrown in jail, but at least you get to be thrown in jail with your friends, you know? Don't, don't quote me on that. Don't go to jail and then be like, oh, well, she said I should go to jail with my friends. No, I didn't. All right. Um, so they're in jail. Paul and Silas are in jail for preaching and doing other Jesus-like stuff. And um, this is what they do while they're in jail. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were worshiping. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains fell off every prisoner. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Cyrus? I think that's how you say that. Cyrus, what must I do? Oh, sirs. <laughs> sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. And then he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So we see a practical example in our worship setting today of worship building family between us. But this is a literal biblical example of worship building a family. They were worshiping God in the prison, just Paul in silence, and we don't have any record that there were any other believers in this prison. So we could assume, we might not be right, but let's just make the assumption for now that only Paul and Silas are the believers here. Still kind of new. There might be some others, we don't know. Paul and Silas are the believers in this room, and they're worshiping God. And then God does a crazy miracle he has an earthquake come that opens all the prison doors. Everybody is unchained, and the jailer's about to die. And Paul comes to him and says, hey, don't die. You're good. We're all still here. We didn't break any laws. Like, you're fine. And immediately, they get saved and get added to the family of God. Like, then, at that moment, literally, them worshiping added more people to the, found, to the family of God. And then what did they do? Go home and worship. I bet you, while they were worshiping, they probably added some more people to the family of God. I can't tell you supernaturally how this works. Like, I don't know how me singing, I know it was the blood. I don't know how that's going to make an earthquake happen. I hope that doesn't happen while we're here. We sing in, it was your first love, and an earthquake happens. And I don't know how that works. That would be scary for me. I don't know how that happens, but there is something that happens when we adore our king. There's some kind of way that he responds that supernaturally adds unity and people to the body of Christ. Not just for our sake, though I think Paul and Silas were probably being encouraged in their spirits while they were worshiping. Prison doesn't sound fun, but I bet you worship was encouraged in their spirits. But then beyond that, he freed them for that, and he added people to their family. So not only is your own worship with Jesus important because you're married to him, because you love him and he loves you, but it's important for your brothers and sisters in this room and your ones that have yet to come. What we saw from the scriptures is that worship literally is building unity. It's building family. And when you worship with your family, you are a part of that family too. So that is pretty much all the points that I have to say. Um, I wanted to say 
one thing that's a little bit off the topic of worship, but I think is necessary. I know today I talked a lot about marriage, and some of you guys aren't married. And so it feels like distant. Sometimes it can be kind of hard to understand that part. You feel like you, I don't know, you're missing something because you're not married. Paul wasn't married. He fully entered the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is your husband. So you are married to him. But single or married, you were made for this family. And you were made to experience a depth and intimacy greater than you could ever experience from any physical act in a marriage. The intimacy that the Spirit desires between every single person is deeper than our natural covenant relationships. So if you're single or you're married, you were made for this kind of intimacy. And it applies to you too. Churches can often only talk about marriage, but I want to be intentional to let you know that this is you too if you're not married, or if you were married and you're not now, or if you want to be married. Wherever you are in your relational journey, you're part of this family, and you're made for this kind of intimacy. All right, so I'm going to pray for you guys, and then Steve's going to come do family things. Father, I thank you. Thank you for bringing us to yourself. Thank you for being a groom who is waiting and committed to us. Even when worship is difficult and in our real relationship, it's hard to want to feel close. You're not afraid of that. You always draw us closer not with fear or other tactics from the enemy, but you draw us with loving kindness. May we receive your loving kindness. May we receive deeper intimacy with you, and may we say yes to you to the degree that you said yes to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, God.